The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. for you so far. I want to invite you, if you would, to turn with me to Amos 7 this morning. Uh, This morning, we are going to be continuing on. We're in Amos 7, and um, we are going to be looking at nine verses. That's it. And in these nine verses, three visions. That's where we're going this morning. Um, And uh, we're going to notice a shift just as we get to this. Um, over the last six chapters, we've looked at Amos's words, the words of the prophet to the people, and um, Amos has not shied away from that word. He has been bringing the heat each and every week and, and telling the people the truth of God's word each and every chapter. Um, we've, we've seen that God says, you've neglected the poor, trampled them. You're celebrating injustice. Um, we've seen that um, the people at this time, they were hating the truth, and they hated those who told the truth. We saw all throughout this, um, Amos was so clear, you're worshiping your comfort and your luxuries, right? You, are, you, you worship your money and you use people. Amos even called them fat cows, How about that, right? Um, He has not shied away, and he's also pointed to the fact that they will face judgment and destruction and exile that is coming. We've seen that for six chapters. Um, This was the the, the word of the Lord, the word directly from God, directly to the people of Israel through the prophet. That's what we've seen in the first six. But now what we're going to see is a bit of a change. And and what we're going to see starting in our text this morning in chapter 7 is, is not only is Amos speaking through the word, but through visions. We're going to see a series of visions. And um, in other words, God's not just going to give Amos the words that he needs to communicate to the people. No, he's going to give Amos visions and pictures of what he needs to give to and, and communicate to um, the people. We're going to see three visions today. They're all connected and uh, the way I want to start us in to, together is I'd love to just read. It's only nine verses, all right? I want to just read our text in, 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 as a whole together. And as I do, I want us to just take it in. I'm going to read it slowly, and then what we'll do is we'll unpack it um, and, and, and work through it together. But I want to read our text, starting in verse 1, chapter 7, verse verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating and um, the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse 4. This is what the Lord God showed me. Vision number 2. Behold, the Lord was, God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. 
Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Vision number three, verse seven. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Let's pray together. God, we, um, we love your word. Would you teach us to love it more and more, to listen, to follow it more and more, to teach us ultimately to love you more and to love each other more as your word teaches us. Help us to understand who we are, who we are in Christ. And God, would you use this time together this morning? I pray for everyone here, my, my friends, church family, my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would shape us together into Christ's likeness you would make us more like Jesus, and that you would get all the glory for it as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Three visions. Let's take them one by one. You ready? Nope. All right. I don't care. We're doing it. Vision number one. It starts in verse number one. This is what the Lord God showed me. And then he paints this incredibly terrible picture. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. Now, this is a picture here, a vision here of locusts. Locusts who are being, uh, don't miss this, formed by God. He was forming, formed by God, formed together. And then there's this sent on this feeding frenzy during a really important time in harvest. Now, I know that not many of us, many of you are farmers. If I'm wrong... This surprised me, but I'm, I'm assuming we don't have many farmers here, so I'm not going to get too far into the details with this, um, but I will say that what is going on here is that these locusts, the swarm was at the end of the rainy season when all the grass was at its final stage of growth, and um, a locust swarm at that time would have been absolutely tragic, absolutely tragic for the farmers, the livestock, the people. Um, if it was after the rainy season, like here, um, that means there comes a dry season. So that means if locusts go whack and take it all away, guess what? You're left with it until a whole nother season. In other words, this is starvation. This is famine. This is a catastrophe. It's not just a bug problem. This is awful. This is tragic. No crops. Not even available until the next season. So Amos, the, the vision he has here is of a locust swarm at an incredibly terrible time. It, this is a horrible scene. Horrible, horrible vision. And then in verse 2, let's see the response. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, that, remember, this is Amos speaking. So I said, this is Amos talking here. Amos, here's what he says. Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. So small. Um, 
Church, we're going to come back to this response here this morning. Um, in fact, we're going to come back to Amos's cry here uh, because I think it's one of the most important aspects of this entire text. Uh, but for now, in this moment, I just don't want us to miss two things. Okay, the first is that this was a cry from the prophet for mercy. God have mercy. He doesn't try to say, hey, we don't deserve this. He says, no, Lord, would you have mercy? It's a cry for mercy. But it's more than that. It's more than, God, than him saying, God, please forgive, please cease. Because it's not just a cry for mercy for him. It's a cry for mercy for them. Um, we've said this m- multiple times. But Amos is not from here. He's this unlikely outsider prophet. He's from this small southern town, not even in Israel. And here he is, he is crying out after this vision of destruction for Israel. He is crying out for mercy for them. Don't miss this. It's not only a cry for mercy. Church, this is intercession. He's interceding on their behalf, praying, God, would you have mercy? A um, lot there. We are coming back to that. But... I want to get to God's response here. Verse 3, the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. The Lord relented. To relent means to change course. Uh, To relent means to change direction, to be stirred in compassion, to be moved and withholding that which was coming. That's to relent. For the sake of compassion and mercy, we see here the Lord relented and praise God for those words. The Lord relented. The vision of famine and devastation and hunger, it was coming. Um, and Amos pleads, God, would you forgive them? Would you, would you forgive them? And the, the Lord here has compassion and says, it shall not be. It shall not be. We're going to talk about this a lot this morning. Um, But church, praise God for the it shall not be moments. Praise God for these moments. Praise God when we see God as a God of mercy and compassion and that they are new each and every morning. Praise God that he does not give you what you deserve. Praise God for the it shall not be. Praise God. If he gave you what you deserve, you would have earned for yourself hell. In fact, Paul teaches this often. One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, if you're allowed to have a favorite, is uh, in Ephesians. Ephesians 2. And I love this text. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. Dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This, in other words, you and I, were, we're in the same helpless position that the people of God were in Amos. Dead in our sins, dead in our sins. Um, but God, but God relented, verse four. I love this, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great, his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive with Christ by grace you have been saved, but God, but God. I love the but God moments, the it shall not be moments. There, there are so many of them. In scripture, so many of them in scripture. In fact, I I would argue that if you take the whole of this, 
all of it, the full weight of this, the whole story of this, from, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, if you take it all, this entire thing is a but God moment. The entire thing tells the story of our God creating, but then restoring and redeeming what he created. But God, he relents. Praise God for those but God moments when he relents from what you deserve. And he doesn't just do it once. Let's go to vision number two. Vision number two, verse four. This is what the Lord God showed me. Here's vision number two. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Important thing here to understand with this is first is that this was the judgment of God. It was the Lord God forming this fire. Again, same with the locusts. We see it with the fire. And more than that, it was extensive and all-encompassing. This fire is devouring everything, the, the land and the deep. Um, this is most likely a reference to the fact that they had these, these deep springs of water that they could draw from. And what he, what's being said here is, hey, this fire is so thorough and extensive, it wiped it out. It devoured not only the land, but the water beneath, the deep sources of water. That's how extensive this is. And so it's from our God, and it is absolutely extensive. And then just like the first vision... We now see the prophet get to work in intercession. Look at this. Then I said, Amos again, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand again? He's so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. <laughs> this also shall not be. We have another one of those this shall not be moments. Same thing here, crying out for mercy, interceding for them, just like the first vision, God hears them, sees them, and the Lord relents. We have this another great but God compassionate moment. I want to pause here because I think one of the most powerful things about this text is I believe that we see the heart of Amos on display, and I want to pull this out a little bit as we walk through this before we get to vision number three. Um, because I think it can help us understand a little bit more about ourselves. Um, I believe that as Christians, we can be, sometimes, we can be quick to call out for judgment and justice for them and mercy for me, compassion for me, bring the heat, bring the love. Like, we be quick to, to do that. I don't know if you know what I mean here, but quick to look and to see how foolish and how crazy they are out there and to say how evil they are. God, would you, they're not changing, so just wipe them out, right? We can be quick to call out for justice out there. Let it rain. Look at ourselves, knowing our own sin, by the way, knowing our own wickedness of our own hearts, and yet be quick to say, God, I know there's justice for those wicked people, but this wicked person, would you have compassion? Would you have mercy? Would you relent? There's something really important here. And um, you know who you are, but I think there might be a few of us here and a few of us in our community um, who are kind of tell-it-like-it-is people. Those black and white, here's the truth, here's the lie, um, the black and white truth bombers, if you will. I think you know who you are. Um, 
Some of you kind of think of yourselves as somewhat of a modern-day prophet, and I don't mean telling the future, like foretelling. I mean forthtelling, like telling the truth of God. Some of you think of yourselves in that light of, I'm going to bring the truth heat. I'm going to bring it. And before I go any further, praise God for you. The church needs you. We need people who will tell the truth. Praise God for the truth tellers that, the, that God gives as a gift to his church. Praise God. I do mean that. But, 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 hear me. In the midst of that, we would do really well to remember the actual heart of the prophets as they did that. Um, we would do well to remember specifically the heart of Amos as he speaks the truth of God. And then what does he do? He immediately drops to his knees in intercession. Proclaims boldly the truth, drops immediately to the ground on his knees to intercede and to call out for God to have mercy. I've said this before. I think it bears repeating. Um, Don't trust a preacher who preaches hell and fire and brimstone with a big old smile on his face. (laughs) Don't. Don't. We need truth and grace. We need people who would, our hearts are to speak the truth, but then after that truth is proclaimed, who will then drop to the ground and intercede on behalf of those. Let's look at the prophets at their example. Minus one, by the way, Jonah. Don't follow his. He's, he's a bonehead prophet. Just ignore him. Um, but all the others, let us have that heart who would proclaim with great pain the judgment of God that is deserved, and then with great eagerness that we would pray and intercede on behalf of, pray again for those but God moments where the Lord, like in verse 6, relents, and this also shall not be. May I pray for that. This leads us, though, to our third vision. Um, I want to read this one again. We're going to camp here. This one's a bit different. Um, Let me read it again. This is what he showed me. Vision number three. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. In the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with, with the sword. Okay. There's a lot of talk here about plumb line. Um, what on earth is a plumb line? First of all, a plumb line, you don't see this word anywhere else in Scripture. Nowhere. It's a unique word in the Hebrew. It's a unique word. Um, but although it's not found in other places in Scripture, um, what we do know is it was used in the culture at this time quite often. Um, it's a construction word. It's a, it's a construction word. It's a reference to something that looked kind of like this. I tried to find the rustiest one, too. You like that? <laughs> there were shiny ones. I was like, no, 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 no. We're talking biblical. Let's get rusty. Um, and it's a reference to something like this. And this is a really simple tool. It's a heavy-ish weight. 
dangling from a string, relying on simple gravity. What happens when you dang a, a dangle a heavyweight on a string? Gravity makes it go straight down, and you have a straight line. Right? That's the, it, it's so simple. It's, it's, it's easy. makes it go straight down. And what you would use is you would use this, you would dangle it, and, and it would reveal if your wall that you're building was leaning or crooked. It would reveal it. It would show if you're leaning. See, here's the thing. Your eye, some of you pride yourself on being able to be like, that's level. I know you, you, there's people in there. <laughs> but your eyes can lie. They can deceive you. The thing is, this doesn't. There's no subtle and slow movement that fools this. Gravity is gravity, and it reveals the truth. Um, that's a plumb line. Now, we do not... Uh, we still have plumb lines around, okay? We still do. Uh, but there have been more modern, sophisticated tools to come around that have kind of replaced this. Um, one being a level, right? I was going to bring my level, and then I realized this tool is so <laughs> fundamental to us, it comes stock on your iPhone. Like, look at that. Yeah. Tells you, is that straight? Is that straight? This, this is the same concept. Now, this relies on simple gravity, this is like some technological magic, right? But it does the same thing. It's the same tool, and the point here is that it does not lie. It shows where it's tilted, crooked, or leaning. It's a tool that ensures that it's straight, okay? Um, and so what does it say in verse 7? Well, it says, behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. Now, this is the vision that we have here. We have the Lord standing beside a wall with this tool. And it says that it was built with a plumb line, meaning it was built straight. Right? It was built sure. It was built straight. It was built with a plumb line. And now with the plumb line in his hand, now Amos sees a vision. God says, look, um, Amos, what do you see? He says, I see a plumb line. I see it. And then the Lord says, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. And, and ooh, um, oh, no. Um, like he said, the, ball, the, the wall was built straight. It's built with a plumb line. Now, the question is, it was straight. <coughs> it was not crooked. And now the Lord is coming back to that, that wall, holding it up holding it in the midst of the people. And here's the question, what will the Lord find? What will the Lord find? Will he find them just as straight and upright and just as he once did? Or will he find that that wall that was built straight was built not tilted or crooked or leaning, that it had, over time, tilted, leaned, crooked? Would he find the wall crooked? Well, unfortunately, I don't think you have to guess. We've been in Amos for a long time now, um, Amos, the first one, two, three, four, five, and six has been pretty clear. The wall is crooked. The wall's crooked. Um, we've seen the people had abandoned the ways of God, trampling the poor again, suppressing the truth again, lounging on their comfy couches and their big fancy homes and their big fancy neighborhoods, securing themselves and in their own power and wealth, comfortable in their false securities, loving money and using all the people around them to get more of it. And here's the thing, forgetting completely who they were. In other words, that wall was crooked. It was no longer straight. And there was a plumb line coming 
that was going to show and reveal just how crooked the wall really was. And the important thing we need to understand here is that that plumb line tells the truth. It tells the truth. You don't fool it. If you're building something and I were to come over with my trusty leveler, even the iPhone version, what it would tell me is if what you're building is straight, if what you're building is crooked, it tells the truth that often your eyes can't see. Here's my point. God's standard is a lot like that. God's word is true. It tells the truth because it is the truth. It reveals the truth because, again, it is the truth. And listen, that truth, I want you to hear me here, can be surprising. And here's what I mean. Um, I am by no means a carpenter, <laughs> no, um, or a master craftsman or anything like that, but I have built, built a few decks. So it's my only frame of reference to go to here. Um, but you know what you need when you desperately build a deck, or when you build a deck, you desperately need nails and screws and drills and saws. You do need wood and all that. But oh, do you need a level? If you've ever built a deck, you know what I what I mean. The important thing here, though, is is that you're straight and that you're level when you go to build the deck. Um, and let me just add to this: it's important to start level. It is also important that you remain level in this deck building process that you are embarking on. See, it's, it, it sometimes is easy to start level, and then without even knowing it or noticing it, you get a little, a little crooked, a little change, a little crooked. There's something a little off, and then without noticing it, and you realize it all the time, you realize this far too late. As you're putting the last board on and you're like, what on earth is happening here? Something is off. Something happened. Something's not right. See, it's important to start off level. Church, it is important to remain level. Why? It's because it's easy to stray. It's easy to wonder. It's easy to, and, and, it's, and it's often slow and relatively unnoticed at first. But here's the thing. There are terrible consequences when you leave it unchecked. Terrible consequences. What's true for building a deck is true for building a life in Christ. It's important to start level, to start founded on God's standard. The plumb line, it's important to start here because this tells us the truth about ourselves and about who we are and about our world as image bearers. It's important to start here. Absolutely, amen. But it's also important here to remain here, to remain here, to stay here, because you're prone to get crooked. And it's easy, and before we know it, that wall is just, the deck is just off a little bit, and hear me. Again, there are times when you won't be able to see it for yourself. Um, when it's slow and subtle, you need a plumb line Hear me, that is not fooled by slow or subtlety. You need a plumb line that is not fooled by subtle variations. You need a plumb line that is always and only and forever true. Praise God, church, we have such a plumb line. 
praise God that we have a plumb line, the, the one and only forever true, his standard that tells us the truth about ourselves, about our God and our world. As we come to this, we, we submit to this because this becomes a plumb line that reveals the ways that we have maybe not even recognized that we have strayed. Um, all right, I'm, I, I want to give an example. Um, as we look at our culture today, just pastorally, um, I hear a lot of, of, of people that say in one way or another, things are horrible, things are getting worse. Like, what are we doing? It's all going down. Like, there is kind of a um, panic mode um, that I see. And, and most of the time, typically as a pastor, I find myself trying in situations like that to bring some level of calm. Um, and just to remind us that, hey, 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 God's still in control. Amen? Still in control. There's nothing new under the sun. And if history has taught us one thing, here's the thing. Sin is not new. We've been really practicing this for a long time. <laughs> it was true in the garden, and it will be true in that city in Revelation. Like, between those times, we are sinners in need of the grace of God, right? That is true. It's always been true. But here's the thing. Um, I don't want to downplay or minimize um, something in our culture, and that is the fact that today... Our culture is in this moment of incredibly fast-paced change. Fast-paced change. A moment when what was seen as wrong 15 years ago is now normal and celebrated as right. And what was seen as right 15 years ago is now viewed as wrong. This has been fast. Fast-paced, rapid cultural change changes in morality, continual, fast-paced redefinition. We're in this moment right now. I think we know this. I think we feel this. Um, there are several areas that I can point to to demonstrate this. Um, but I think taking the LGBTQ movement as an example is an obvious one. And what I mean by this is issues of sex, gender, identity, we have seen rapid cultural changes, rapid, that, are, that have happened and that are continuing to happen. I was at a conference, I was going to say last week, it was two weeks, time is flying, um, on the LGBTQ movement in the church. And it was a phenomenal conference, but it was um, kind of jaw-dropping to see how fast cultural change has been in this movement. Something hit me, that, that our kids who are teenagers and below who not know a world before their norms had changed. Just hit me, it struck me, and it's crazy to think about, won't know a world before the rapid change. And, and there are cultural, there are new cultural norms today. That's what I'm getting at. There are new things that are celebrated in our culture. There are new things that are condemned in our culture. Collectively, there's a new set of norms for us today. And I think we need to be honest together as the church in this moment that we are seeing a collision course. 
What I mean by this is because whereas the, the culture has slowly, or in this case, not so slowly, been changing, whereas our culture has been subtly or not so subtly changing, um, here's the collision course. This has not. This is not, and, and the standard is not, the truth is not, and so we're left with this huge predicament. And I think we've got to be honest about this predicament that we find ourselves in. In a culture that has new norms, we have this, and it has not changed. And this, the plumb line, reveals crooked walls. My question is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? And I, and I think there's a few options. Um, I think we're left with four. I say four, um, but, but church, I, I don't mean it. Um, I'm going to give four, and then I'm going to tell you why three of these options are terrible. So I'm basically going to give you four options and then tell you that the last one is the one. I'm going to give it all the way up front, okay? Um, but I want us to look at this. When we are confronted with a rapidly changing culture and a plumb line that has not changed, option number one, there it is. Option number one is to reject the plumb line, reject the truth. Knowing what God's truth is going to reveal, you could just say, nah, reject it in order to go along with the community and the culture you're around. Option number one, terrible option. Option number two. Um, option number two, I think this is broke, so you might have to help me here. There it is. Um, option number two is that we can go with the culture, knowing that it's going to reveal some, some crooked walls, but instead of rejecting or out, just outright saying, you know what, we don't need this, option number two is to take this and to say, did God really say that or mean that? To try to, it's hard to hijack a plumb line, but we think we can do it. Um, and so we try not to reject the truth to go with the culture, but to modify that truth to go along with the culture. Option number two. Option number three. Will you go with the truth, go with the plumb line, and just reject it all? Reject it all, run for the hills. Channel your modern-day Jonah. I'm ripping on him a lot this morning. He deserves it. Um, run for the hills. And we just pray, God, bring the heat, judgment, fire, locusts, whatever you got. Bring it. So option number two, will you reject the truth to go with the culture? Option number, all right, that's option number one. Option number two is will you modify the truth to go with the culture? Option number three is, will you stand on the truth as you retreat from the culture and pray that God would smite them all? <laughs> I look for a better way to say it. I'm just going to go. Um, there's got to be another way. And I'd like to argue, just coming off of our text in this beautiful section of Amos, that I think Amos models for us a fourth way. A fourth way. Will you know the truth of God, knowing this is going to reveal crooked walls? And will we choose to stand under it all the same, submit to the truth of this, while at the same time, like Amos, will we get on our knees and intercede for 
and pray for the culture that is right outside these doors? Will we? Will we? Not reject the truth to go with culture, not change the truth to go with culture, not reject the culture to go with the truth, but instead intercede for and change, seek to change the culture for the glory of God, to the power of God, as we stand firm in the truth. Church, I believe this has to be our way. I believe this has to be our way as our church family engages with that culture that's outside culture that's inside. This has to be our way forward, that we know that we stand on, that we're unwavering in the plumb line, that we don't think we can change it. And at the same time, with compassionate hearts, we pray and intercede, God, would you cease? Would you have mercy? Would you forgive? Would you be as patient with them as you were with me? Would you bring the heat, but not the fire of your judgment, but the fire of revival? Would you bring that heat? And do we, with as much passion as we proclaim the truth, do we intercede? I believe we need the heart of Amos. And I think we, we, we also in this need to understand that the judgment of God is real. He is holy, he is just, he is perfect, and that judgment is real. And, and we see in our text just a sobering reminder of that as we look at verse 8, and the Lord um, said to me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line. Behold, I'm standing again with a plumb line in the midst of my people, and he makes this statement, I will never again pass by them. What a, in other words, the time of judgment has come. I think the best way to understand this, that line is I will spare them no longer. I will relent no more. I relented with the fire. I relented with the locusts. But here in this moment, judgment is here, and I will spare them no more. It is important for us to know that that time, that judgment, is in fact indeed coming. He says here that the high places of Isaac are going to be desolate sanctuaries, waste, rise against the house of Jeroboam. This is a, this is a big statement because the house of Isaac, the sanctuary, these are the highest religious places, and they're going to be brought down. You have this Jeroboam house. That's the place of military might strength in society, right? And here again, going down. So both religious and, so, um, and, and the military power, all the things that they have comfort in that we read, brought down, laid waste. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And listen, I think it's easy for us to engage with a text like this and to think about it historically. What I mean by this is that we pick up this text and we said, yep, they had it coming back then. They were warned that judgment was coming. They didn't believe it. They're crazy. It was coming for them. And we read this kind of historically. But I think we need to be really clear that God's word is still true. As true as it was for them, it is true for us. And that God's word tells us very, very clearly that Christ is coming again and we will face judgment. In other words, we stand in the same place 
that they stood, knowing that one day God's going to come with his judgment and make all the wrongs right and all the injustice he's going to make just. That this time is coming. We know it is coming, and that is true for us. And so the question I have is how do we respond to that? Knowing that we're in the same shoes as the people of Israel and Amos. How do you and I stand? How can we stand? It's like Amos says, we're so small. How can we stand? God's word tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that the text is telling us the truth about ourselves, that we have crooked walls. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, for all have sinned and have crooked walls. All. Falling short of the standard. Meaning, that when this gets applied, you will be found wanting. All of us. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we do knowing that the plumb line of God, his standard, will reveal our sin? What do we do? What do we do? This is the power of the gospel, church. I want to read a, a text here in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's words, and I love the way he says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Listen to this verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to ask, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means, church, that our God has not just ignored our sin and said they had good intentions, kind of. Sweep it under the rug. God has not ignored our sin, rejected our sin. No, it means that God, because of his great love for you, sent Jesus. And it means that Jesus came not just to be some good example of how we can live good moral lives, but that he came to take our sin on his shoulders. We sang it, Jesus, you paid it all. That is why he came, to bear the punishment of death for all of your sin, all of this. So that means for all of the crookedness of your walls. Jesus came for that. He took that. He took your sin. But it's more than that. What I love about this text is that he not only takes our sin, but he gives us his righteousness. So to use the wall picture again, he took your crooked wall, leaning and crooked, and he exchanged it for his perfectly straight wall. He said, you take this. I'll take this one. You take that one. And so now what that means is you, without any doing of your own, without any righteousness that you have in your own, you are left with a perfectly straight wall in and through Jesus Christ. That is incredible. I mean, how incredible is it that as the plumb line of God, you need to hear me, in Christ, as the plumb line of God gets applied in your midst, to use the text language, what's it going to find in your life? Well, if you are in Christ, when this gets applied to your life, it is going to find that it is perfectly straight, without one variation, without one lean, without anything crooked. And why is that? How do we know this? It's because it is his righteousness that was applied to you. This is not about what we did. You are saved by grace through faith. You can't boast in this. This is grace. This is the gospel. You have a straight wall. Because Christ did that. That's right. Amen. And he took your crooked one. 
So we stand in the truth of Christ, knowing that God's word is true and there's coming a time when he will judge. We know that. And in light of that judgment, in Christ, church, brothers, sisters, you are in Christ. And, and what that means is that you are saved by grace through faith and your wall will stand up next to the plumb line. That is a beautiful truth. So with the plumb line in this hand, uh, knowing that it's always and always and ever true, we know we are in Christ. And I want us to end this morning with a text, another one from Paul, okay? Um, and I, I want to end, it, it's in 2 Timothy. I want to end here because I think it serves as an incredible reminder and application for us of what now? Um, Paul says this in 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Okay, don't miss that. In other words, he's saying judgment is coming. I charge you because judgment is coming. And what is the charge? Verse 2, preach the word in season. And out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And why? Because this world crazy. It says, for the time is coming, people are not even going to endure sound teaching. They have itching ears that they accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Welcome to Amos. In other words, the walls of the culture around us are going to be crooked. Don't be surprised by it. You've been told it. They're crooked. But church, as for you, as for you, I have not, I got so carried away, I didn't even put it up here. I'm back. All right. As for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What a charge is that? So in Christ, we know Christ is coming. Like Amos, we know God's judgment is coming. So to go back to our terrible options, um, we can't reject the truth to go with them, the culture. We can't change the truth to go with the culture. Both of those lead to death. We know Jesus is coming. We know that God's judgment is coming. We also know, because that's true, we can't just reject them. We can't just reject them and leave it all to burn. No, church, what Paul is so clear about is we have work to do. We have work to do. We have ministry to do, the work of an evangelist. Church, that's why you're here. That is why you are here. Here's the truth. We know Christ is coming. So by the grace of God, like Paul says, or like we see in Amos first, we intercede in prayer for them. God, would you have mercy? We proclaim the truth. As Paul says, we preach the word, and we do that in season and out of season. There's no off season for you, for me. We reprove, rebuke, exhort, have patience, teach, sober-minded. We endure the suffering. It's coming. We endure that. No one likes to be told that their wall's crooked. I get it. We do the work of an evangelist, and we seek to fulfill the ministry God has given us. That is my prayer this morning. That is my prayer this morning, is that we would have the heart of the prophet, Amos, not Jonah. We'd have his heart, and that we would be standing on the truth of the word of God, that we would proclaim this with all passion, 
And with the same amount of passion that we would then drop to our knees and intercede, God, would you forgive? Would you cease? Would you bring revival? Truth and grace, secure in Christ, together in Christ, on mission for Christ in our community. That is our prayer.